I used to faint kind of all the time in college. No, 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 no. I'm whooshing lightly. Fainting is down. This is up, like a, a floating, a, a whooshing floating. And it's happened more than once? It happens at regular intervals. I'll just be going about my day, and then I hear this music, a short sequence of chords, and then a kind of lightness, a whooshing. And then, all of a sudden, the next thing I know, I'm waking up, up there, up in my bedroom. We're going to go for a joyride. What dimension are you even in? I don't like the looks of this. It doesn't say how far the detour goes. You just made a wrong turn heading south. Strange highways. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. Hey guys, it's Terry here. And here we are at the end of season two of the the current CBS All Access uh, Twilight Zone, the Jordan Peele produced one. Uh, this has been this has been a lot of fun. Um, it's been it feels like this has been more of a sprint uh, and not a marathon. Versus I, I keep hating to to kind of kick season four of the original series though that was like nineteen episodes. This 10 felt a lot faster than probably most uh, any 10 in that season. So this has been a fun, like brisk, like jog through all of this. Yeah, I honestly, I felt like the pacing was uh, pretty, pretty cool and how they, you know, changed it up per episode and everything, too. So they weren't forcing something down your throat for an hour long uh format like it was in the fourth season. So, yeah, I think I think this was a. A breath of fresh air. Yeah, it just it just kind of helps, like you know, reaffirm our purpose here of watching the Twilight Zone in order. So, uh, yeah, this is the last episode of the season. It's a uh, season two, episode ten. You might also like. Uh, this is written and directed by Osgood Perkins. Uh, I'm just going to say this right now from the jump. I thought that was a fake name the first time I watched the episode, and I thought maybe it was like an inside joke. No, that's this person's name. That's that's their real name. So I apologize to Mr. Osgood Perkins here. Yeah, I, I was kind of surprised by it as well. I was like, okay, well, you know, people are naming their kids Apple and stuff like that. So, I mean, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, uh, here's what I have for him is not much, but uh, he is the son of Anthony Perkins. Um, so, that, that's a nice uh, psycho connection there. Uh, and he's the writer and writer, writer, writer and writer, no, director and writer of I Am the Pretty Thing That Lives in the House. And the Black Coat's Daughter, which I know those were both um, on Netflix. I don't know if those are like original Netflix films, but they're both a little bit more. I know they're horror or horror adjacent. I've not seen either one. Have you seen either one of those, Terry? 
No, um, I've heard a lot of buzz about the the Black Hood's daughter. So, um, you know, I, I, this is he is definitely one of those uh, writers slash directors that have not been on my radar. So, yeah, I feel bad about saying that. Well, I mean, again, I, I think one of the one of the strengths of this season and this iteration of the Twilight Zone has been bringing a lot of different voices and talents to to us, right? Like, there's a lot of things here. Uh, um, like the, the director of last episode, like I'm now excited for what she does next. You know, like there's, there's just like, it's, it's all good. Right. In the sense of like, Oh, I didn't know who this person is. Now I do. So that that's awesome. So at least, I mean, I've heard of these things. Um, I, I might uh, visit them. We'll, t- we'll talk about my feelings about the episode, but clearly this guy has a strong sense of what the story he wants to tell. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that for sure. Uh, I, I think that he kind of, took this one right under his wing and went all the way th- through with it. Uh, cause it's so different from all the other episodes this season. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, f- uh, for the notes I have for him, he, he actually is in this episode as well. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And he wrote it. So, so he pulled triple duty here. He did three paychecks, right? That's what you do. Yeah. And I believe he probably did some catering and then, you know, some sound effects, like whatever you got to do, right. You know, production assistant, you know, key grip, I don't know. Um, so yeah, let's just get into the cast here. Uh, yeah, Terry, I'll let you take it away. It's, this is another one of those ones that, uh, a lot of people. So we'll see where our lists kind of overlap, but some of their, it's one, again, one of those ones where you start to seeing names in like three credits and you're like, I don't know what we could talk about this person, but we'll see where we end up at. Yeah. We'll, we'll try not to stretch this out too far, but, um, uh, Gretchen Mole, uh, she plays Mrs. Janet Warren. Uh, she is our main lead in this. Uh, you, people may know her from uh, Donnie Brasco. Um, she plays Betty Page in the notorious Betty Page. Uh, she was also in the remake of 310 to Yuma mm-hmm. and then 53 episodes of Bro- uh, Boardwalk Empire. Yeah, that's another one of those uh, shows I meant to get to and I just did not. Um, I love Gretchen Mole. Uh, it just, I mean, I've, I've had a crush on her since, uh, rounders. I, I love her in that film. Um, I love rounders a great deal. Like, I don't know. It's just, I don't play poker. I mean, I do, but like not seriously. And I don't know what it is about that film that I keep coming back to, but I love that movie. Uh, and then also she was in the American, uh, version of life on Mars. It was a one season show on ABC about a cop in like, um, mid two thousands that gets hit by like a car and he wakes up in like 1970s, New York as a cop. And, and as he's like trying to deal with that, uh, she's one of the, like, like in the same precinct with him and she wants to be a detective, but she's like a street beat cop. And it's like also dealing with the struggles of her, like dealing with like the sexism and everything of the seventies and also like the, the empowerment. So her character's interesting. Harvey Keitel's like the police chief. And I made the joke that if he didn't punch somebody in the stomach, every episode, it wasn't worth watching. Um, but yeah, it, it wasn't bad. It's just that they knew they got canceled, so they rushed to the ending to finish the series out. And it's like, oh, that's the end. Because the question is, was the guy really in the 70s? Was he in a coma? Was he dead? Um, yeah, they answered the question like as best you could after one season. But she was good at it, and I actually didn't mind it. Hmm. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. Uh, Boardwalk Empire, I for what I watched of that, I really enjoyed it. I don't know if I ended up seeing in her in any of the episodes because I only watched probably like 10 of the episodes, but that is definitely something I have to revisit because I love mob storylines and that. So it was a lot of fun for what I watched. Nice. 
And I also want to point out she was in, sorry, she was in the 13th floor, which is a film that came out around the same time as the matrix. I have not seen it, but I know it was dealing with the notion of like artificial realities. Um, so just thought that might be a worthy of note considering what we're about to get into. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Um, so next we have Greta Lee. Uh, she plays Mrs. Ellen Jones. Uh, this is her neighbor. I'm sorry. Did I wait? Did I mix, mix up the characters here? No, you didn't. Like I might have. You did not. No, Greta oh, okay. Lee is, uh, okay. she's Ms. Ellen Jones. You're right. Okay. Um, so yeah, she plays in, uh, uh, five episodes of new girl. Um, she was in the movie sisters, uh, and 15, uh, 16 episodes of a show called chance. Um, I can't remember what it was about. I'm sorry, but, um, yeah, she, uh, she didn't play very much of a role in this episode. Uh, she's kind of moved the story along a little bit, but yeah, that's what I have for her. Yeah, I, I have her. Uh, she was a voice in um, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which is one of my favorite movies of recent memory. Um, I don't know if you had seen it, Terry. If not, I'm going to force you to watch it in a loop until you love it and become as infatuated with it as I am. Um, she She's listed as interesting person number two in the cast list because they didn't want to give away her character's name because it's after the credits. Um, so she might be playing a bigger role in the second film, but I'm glad that they got her in that. Uh, and then she was also in that Netflix series, Russian doll, which is a time loop type of thing, which I'm surprised that we didn't mention that last week. When we talked about try, try just in passing. I've not seen Russian doll, but I know people were all about it. Uh, yeah, I heard a little bit of buzz about that. I'll have to check that out too. Uh, I've got a ongoing list of homework. Um, so next we have, uh, Gil Bellows. Uh, he plays Dick Warren, uh, Janet's wife or husband. I'm sorry. Ugh. Um, and I have, where do I got him in my notes here? Um, yeah, I don't really know anything that he really, he played such a small, small role. Okay. You ready to have your mind blown? You're ready to have your, just your, the back of your skull blown out of your head for, for Mr. Yes. Uh, Gil Bellows. He was Tommy in the Shawshank Redemption, the young greaser kid that ends up getting shot by the guards that they kind of befriend. Oh, wait. You know what? I do. I found him in my notes. I'm sorry. I got so sidelined from clicking on different screens here. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did see that. Um, That's awesome, man. Because like, I know that's like your favorite yeah. movie. And he's like, like, he's, you know, you see him at the beginning. It's like, oh, he's kind of an asshole. But you start to like him. And then, uh, you know, bad things happen to him. Yeah, it, he got he got screwed over in that in that movie <laughs> so bad. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, uh, other notes I did have for him because I did do him. Uh, he was in an episode of Twilight Zone from 2003. Oh, nice. Good, good pull. I had him and he's been recently in the scary stories tell in the dark. Uh, he was in um, a film called Trading Christmas. So I, you know, able to almost complete the full sweep here. Uh, 68 episodes of Ally McBeal, too. So he was one of the main characters in that. Yeah. And then uh, last note for him I had was uh, he was in 11-22-63 as well. No. Oh, yeah, he was. Okay. Yeah, that's actually a pretty solid miniseries. So for, for me not having notes, I found notes. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. Uh, you, know, you you fooled me. Go, go, go ahead. Who do we have next? Uh, so next we have Colleen Champ, uh, Camp. Um, so I so was it Chantel Stargazer. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, um, she, she's actually probably the one, uh, actress from this that has the longest IMDB. Yeah. Um, she was in smoking a bandit three. Um, she was in tales from the dark side of like one of the episodes of tales from the dark side. 
Uh, she was in Wayne's World. She was in the movie Election. But uh, the fun one I had on here, and it's one of my favorite episodes, and I had to watch it right after I found that she was in this episode, was Tales from the Crypt. She was in um, the the one where the guy uh, from uh, Night Court, um, what's his name here, Harry Anderson, mm-hmm. he's, a, he's an illustrator for Tales from the Crypt, and everything that he draws comes to life. Hmm. It's called Corman's. Calamity? Uh, cal- calamity. Calamity. Oh, yeah. yeah. Of course, I can't cal- read again. Calamari. But, Corman's Calamari. It's all yeah. squid based. But yeah, she plays the nagging wife in it. And it is awesome. And I love that episode. And I had to watch it right afterwards. So I was like, yes, I love this episode. Nice. So. Uh, yeah. I just want to, you said Wayne's World, but she was Mrs. Vanderhoff. So wife of Noah Vanderhoff of Noah's Arcade in Wayne's World. So she's the one. That was um, all Bill Murray's brother. Uh, he played that character. But I remember at one point, like, one of Wayne's uh, cameramen kept hitting on her. <laughs> like, I remember that. Um, I also uh, want to point out here, she was in two Police Academy films. Uh, she was the wife of Tackleberry, uh, that character. And she made her film debut in 1973's Battle for the Planet of the Apes. The reason I mentioned that is just because... Planet of the Apes was originally a Rod Serling script, so there's you know a, a connection there. But in my notes, I wrote it as batter for the Planet of the Apes, so it sounds like that's much more of a cooking show than it is an actual movie. So we're we're spot on for our, our notes tonight. So yay us! <laughs> yay! It's almost as if we have one mind, and we love we love us. Mm, yeah. Uh, so next we have uh, Donna Dixon. Uh, she plays one of the Megans on the phone. Um, she's and 37 episodes of Boos and Buddies, uh, the Twilight Zone movie, the, uh, segment of Nightmare of 20,000 Feet. So there's a nice little, uh, connection to Twilight Zone as well. Mm-hmm. And she was also in Wayne's World. Yeah. She was, uh, Garth's dream woman that every time he saw her, he would like, like jump out of his chair or fall down or whatever. Uh, and she's married to Dan Aykroyd. Wow. I did not know that. Yeah, cool. which would make sense because he's in uh, the uh, Twilight Zone, the movie. Uh, but they met on uh, the set of Doctor Detroit, where he plays a pimp. I, d- I don't know the whole story, but sounds sounds like it's been a long lasting love. Yeah, well, well good for them. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, so next we have George Takai. Um, very famous name. Uh, we'll Never we'll blurt it out here. Uh, he plays. <laughs> Um, he plays one of the Kedimits in this. Um, I hope I'm pronouncing that cor- correctly because they said it differently in the episode. Yeah, it, it's a, it's. I think it's a Kedimit or Kedimite. It, it doesn't really matter. But I know he is. I think he's one of the. I think he's the voice because since they don't really move their mouths, and because George Takei uh, was in a season five episode of the original series, which we've not gotten to yet. Um, that's, that's a, that's a nice grab to get him to be involved. Right. So it's a nice bridge, but it's also George Takei. Right. So like he, I, I love him, <laughs> you know, and, and I didn't realize that was him until like, you know, you got to the credits. I'm like, that, that voice did sound familiar, but yeah, like, um, stay around George. We need you. Yeah. I, I mean, he has a huge, uh, background in sci-fi and everything. So hopefully we can see him you know, and more connections to, you know, this, this universe. So bring him back, Jordan Peele. Uh, but yeah, so we, uh, connecting him even further into the, uh, Twilight Zone. Uh, um, he was in, uh, Playhouse 90. So there's a little connection oh, nice. there to Rod. 
Um, he was in the original Rodan, um, Godzilla Raids again, and 52 episodes of Star Trek. And here you go, man, to bring it back, four episodes of Hawaiian Eye. Oh, wow. See, I didn't even do a deep dive of, of him. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for, uh, wow. You know, he is the tie that binds. Thank you for pointing that out. Yeah. So everybody drank. Yeah. <laughs> so that's our, that's our little fun uh, thing that we've, uh, we're bringing it back. Um, it's stayed in the, it's, in the loop as now, much as we it's could run through it. the original series and now in this revival series. So awesome. Like that Hawaiian eye touches all. I'm sorry. Let me yep, rephrase. There we go. The Hawaiian eye sees all. So yeah. Thanks George for uh, doing those episodes of Hawaiian eye. You're bringing it back. <laughs> Thank uh, you. <laughs> so um, next, uh, I'm not like it's, I mean, I don't know about these next few actors. I, there wasn't really a whole lot to discuss about them. So I, I don't know if I'm really need to discuss them. They're bit actors. So, okay, so do you think we need to mention anybody else? I have a couple here. I just want to mention just because some of the, some of the things I'm going to torture you with here. We have a uh, Carly uh, Walkerton as commercial mum. Um, like that she was the one sitting, I think the shoveled in the one commercial se- se- uh, sequence. Uh, the only thing I have for her is that 2019 is a Christmas miracle. So <laughs> another Christmas connection. Uh, Eric Halliburton is Billy. He's the only credit. Uh, you know, I don't know why I kept that in my notes. Uh, Let's see here. Tara, Tara Pratt is uh, Mrs. March Stevens. She's the one that runs in with the egg later. Uh, not familiar with her. She has like 36 credits. Um, Joanna Newmarch as Mrs. Davies. Um, I have a credit here for Tales from the Dark Side film from 2015. Do you know anything about this? No, and honestly, I, I, I did have her listed here in my notes, but since she played such a limited role in this, I wasn't sure if I wanted to, uh, to bring it up, but yeah, it said TV movie. So I don't know what TV, like, was it like Canadian or <laughs> what? <laughs> you, it, was it the series, uh, original series, a Canadian show? I think it was co-produced. I think you might be right. Yeah. I, I I've never heard about it. And uh, I mean, I'm going to have to look it up now. And I'm, yeah. I'm wondering if it's, if it's like a, anthology or if it's like a like one linear storyline or what yeah i don't know but i just want to note here that like i looked at her credits and she has been in so many made for tv movies so i just listed her as the queen of the made for tv movie um but i don't know her um i have emmett lee stan as man in bathroom um the reason i have him listed is because he's in a film called hope at christmas and then when i go further down the line here kirk thornton as cannabis number two um, this blew my mind. This is another one of these guys. that's a voice actor that does a bunch of video games and cartoons, which I don't know if that's just like, there's a fandom in terms of like the writer's room or the casting department where it's like, we love this person, bring them in for a second, get their face on the screen because no one knows what they look like. Um, he has a voice in Friday the 13th, the game, uh, like a bunch of other things, uh, but this just ties back to an episode of, um, of invasion of the podcast I just did two weeks ago with my co-host Steve, where we covered the 1997 animated film, perfect blue Kirk Thornton did the English dubbing of a character named uh, Yamashiro in that film. So that blew my mind. I'm like, Holy shit. That guy's in perfect blue. Nice. That's, that's a cool connection. Um, Yeah. uh, It's a very cool movie. If you've not seen it, it's a very cool movie. People should check it out. Yeah, I'll have to Um, a quick note on that tales from the dark side movie. Uh, Joe Hill wrote the script for it, so I'm definitely going to have to find it. Oh now. God, yeah, that's yeah. Let's track that down, people. Everybody, find this film. We need to watch it. But yeah, that's yeah, all I got and, for. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead, please. I was just going to say, send out the ninjas. Get them. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, like there was the, the the gentleman who owns the rights to the Beastmaster film now was like, we need to find the original print. And he's like, everybody help me find this. And so I guess there's ninjas out there now looking for the original print so they can get this thing like remastered and re-released. So please bring us Beastmaster and bring us Tales from the Dark Side 2015. Please bring me Beastmaster. Beastmaster rocks, even though they made some really, really bad choices when they were making that film, what, like, like painting a tiger. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's like I was like dying a tiger black. Yeah, that's a that's a bad call. Yeah, that's uh, you know even even the Twilight Zone didn't do that to uh, that that uh, lazy panther and Jezebel. They just drugged the hell out of it. Um, yeah, they didn't spray paint a leopard black. Um, but yeah, that's what I got for uh, for credits for cast. Do you have anybody else that you wanted to mention? No, no, that was that was it for me. Okay, all right. So let's just uh, let uh, Mr. Peel take it away, or is it Mr. Peel and somebody else? Shh. Hold on. I think it might. Submitted for your approval, Mrs. Janet Warren. A woman who would seem to have everything. Every. Thing. But possessions have weight. We can't carry them all at the same time, especially when taking an unscheduled trip into the Twilight Zone. Strange intro, strange episode. So, uh, Terry and I were talking before we started recording uh, about our plans to take over the world and this episode. They're unrelated, but just letting you guys know. Um, so this, this one, I don't know how to get into it. Like we could talk about the plot, but I feel like if we get like did story beats, like it wouldn't make sense as like a discussion. Cause I feel like there is a story. It makes sense, but this episode is more than just a plot. I think it's trying to do like this big, like emotional thing. And also like this commentary thing. Um, here, I'm going to say this right now, Terry, I didn't tell you this before we started recording. This feels like if Wes Anderson got into the Twilight Zone. Okay, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, except it would call. be it would be a little bit more like Pinterest looking, like a little bit more soft colors and you know yarn. I think would be more involved. And a ukulele probably playing music. I'm going to throw that out there. But a lot of like this thing feels very like characters are behaving oddly just because it serves the greater like emotional push as opposed to reality. This is a really weird episode. Yeah, especially at, for this season. I We haven't had anything quite like this episode. And when you go from, you know, pretty linear storylines to what what this is, is it's just it, it kind of confused the hell out of me and my wife. Um, we were like upon the second viewing, I was still trying to piece and part together what I was watching. So yeah. And I think the first time I watched this, this was uh what was it like Friday or something after we recorded the previous episode and I just couldn't sleep. So I think I like, I woke up at like two or three in the morning and I'm like, well, I'm awake. I might as well watch this so I can get kind of like my thought process started. This is not the episode you want to watch at like three in the morning for the first time. Just going to toss that out there. I mean, or is it the perfect time to watch this kind of episode? I'm still confused about that, but I was not, expecting something so um like it's not it's not obtuse that's not the right word um 
there is an episode from season two of the original series called Shadow Play that I think there's strong parallels between like it's telling this narrative, but it's leaving you like like um like bewildered the entire time. Um Shadow Play is a much better episode, but if people have not seen it, go check that out. But this one, like there is it, it, we we have Janet who is a housewife who feel like you get the notion it's like even though you know that she has kids and a husband you never see her interact with them she's in this house by herself it's like all like everything's almost all white uh it's like this perfect like americana not even americana like the updated kitchen everything it's like the perfect idea now of what you'd want and, but the problem is is that she keeps waking up on her bed because she hears a noise and then looks up and then she gets whooshed away or if she says she feels like she's whooshed away and then wakes up in her bed with time passing. So there's also this other like thing too, where as, where as a viewer, the episode kind of breaks into these commercial breaks that shows this thing, teasing the egg. Um, and there's different imagery there. And there's also other commercials too, like the VR helmet. Did you catch the joke that was going on with the VR goggles? I didn't really understand what the hell they were trying to say with it. To be to be honest, it was like you like the second time through I watched it. The, the 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 quote was, "Your husband saw a baby come out of there," and it's like so it, 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 it's these intimacy VR VR goggles. So now he gets to to see his wife before she got pregnant. It's this whole notion of like he's now terrified to be intimate because he saw a baby come out of his wife. Like that's the joke. Is like you're gonna put on these VR goggles and see whatever you want, and it's it's so fast. And I'm like, I don't know what that means, but it's a joke. Yeah, I I, I didn't really, I didn't get it. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's probably some highbrow, uh, uh, you know, person right now. It's like, ha, I got it. Yeah, screw you guys. So my question <laughs> for you, Terry, you you know, you're you've been recently married, and I know you're you're happy, and you know, I'm happy for you guys. Do you do you guys keep uh, individual photos of each other on your nightstands? Um. Uh, I, well, I keep one next to my desk where I'm at right now, but I, I have, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't actually have a picture of her beside my bed. And then on I the other side of the bed, does she, does she have a picture of you? Like, I just feel like, did you notice that? That was a little weird. Like it was very like odd. I'm like, Oh, that's my husband. I remember him. Like what? Like what? <laughs> that felt weird. To me. What it, it seems, it seems like a real callback to like the old school television days yeah. of, you know, like that's what you would typically see on leave it to beaver. Like that's what the, the husband and wife would have, but they would also have separate beds, but now it's, you know, mature, mature television. And so they can share the same bed again. <laughs> it wouldn't surprise me the way that there's a lot of shots composed that are very, um, mirror, like they're mirror images. It's like, it's like symmetrical, right? It wouldn't surprise me that throughout this, if that bed, if they actually would have done the twin beds, just kind of because it's going for that kind of like it's a modern aesthetic, but it's also kind of like a 50s throwback. Right. And even even goes to the point of when you go outside and you see the different houses, there's like at least two or three of the same like old station wagon. Like this episode was trying not to date itself, but then they had cell phones and they had flat screen TVs. And it was like I, it was purposely trying to make you feel like out of time. And like uneven, and I'm, I'm not saying I'm, I, I don't disagree with it because I love getting a little weird, but it's just, it, I don't know if it was needed or not. Yeah, I, I, it, it brought more confusion and I agree about the station wagons because the station wagons look like they're from like the late seventies, yeah. early eighties. It looked like the, the family truckster from, uh, 
from vacation Yeah, vacation. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd have been amazing if it was the truckster. Uh, but yeah, so we get this idea though of Janet, like she's by herself for the most part. And, uh, and then she calls her neighbor over, uh, to kind of like tell her about what's up. And then, so we got this weird commentary where like the neighbor, it's like, you could tell that, uh, you know, she kind of likes Janet, but she also kind of is like, you, you almost get the notion too, that the whole reason she came over was just to eye her interior and kind of compare notes about her house versus Janet's house. So like, cause Ellen, Ellen's just like, oh yeah, you're fanning. It's like, oh, and it's also like, you know, I used to think your kitchen got more light than mine. I know it's not true now. Like it's funny it, again, but it just, it's off. It's like, it's, it kind of keeps you uh, like off kilter while it's going on. Yeah. And isn't the term like keeping up with the Joneses. So, and her last name's oh, Jones. Go. Perfect. I didn't even think about that. That's a good call. Um, but yeah, so, so then we get to. Uh, where Janet's like, yeah, I'd like you to stay with me. Like when this is going to happen, this whooshing and, um, Ellen's kind of like, you know, she doesn't really believe her, but she's trying to help her through. And then also at the same time, Ellen's like, I got like, you know, X number of like, you know, hours before I have to go to the fulfillment center to get my egg. And that becomes the big thing of the episode is this thing called the egg. Um, yeah. And then that's when we get to the peel intro where I, and as much as I'll say this episode is kind of like, there's. There's a lot here I could appreciate. I think this might be one of my favorite intros just because, again, even though I don't know what's going on, I love uh, Peel's like, entrance in the episode and also his interaction with the episode. Yeah, and uh, doesn't he do the submitted for your approval? He does, yeah. Uh, Which that, so, I that's mean, not really a thing that happened all the time. And It's one of those like Mandela effects that we think every episode has that, and it's, that's not true. Yeah, and... Another interesting part that he's included uh, in the this part of the storyline because we hear the music cue, and then he the lights go dim and he points up, and we see this weird blue light, like uh, you know rectangular blue light that's just there. And then we go to the the opening sequence of the show. It it doesn't explain anything, so you're <laughs> super confused at this point. Yeah. Um, and it only gets more confusing. So, <laughs> yeah. So then at this point, when I, when I made my Wes Anderson reference, I, um, you know, I think it's a little on the nose because they, from here on out, this episode breaks into four parts. Uh, it's part one. Um, it, it, it says on the screen part one, it's ugly. And so all four parts that we're going to get into are references to dialogue. That's going to happen in the sequence. Um, so I don't, I don't know, Terry, we talked about this first start recording. I don't know how, cause the, the narrative gets a little, it gets, I don't know. It's scattered. It's not scattered, but it gets really discombobulated. So I don't know where to go with this other than there's this ongoing notion of this fulfillment center that people are going to go to, to pick up this thing called the egg that, um, it, the way the commercials kind of show it is of this young girl running through the woods. And it's like, where's the future? It's now or whatever they say. Uh, you, you, it feels like every like Apple commercial for the next product. Yeah, it's, it's very strange. And it, it, all, the only times that these commercial sequences seem to be happening is when she goes into that rest period where yeah. the music happens, she goes out, she sees these weird commercials and then she wakes again. Like the one the family around the dinner table and they show, I guess it's supposed to be somebody like her. Well, it's her actual husband. It's her husband and her actual two kids. And then, but the, the woman that's sitting at the table isn't her. 
Yeah, I thought that was strange. I was like, it's not her, but it's supposed to be her because that's her family. And she's she's looking like she hasn't slept in like four days. And everybody else looks like they're out of a, like an episode of a 50s like family sitcom. And uh, the, there was a weird discussion between the, the son and the dad. And they go to this. What was it? The immolation station. Yeah, but it looked like they were going to like the Partridge's fam- Partridge family like concert, like the way that this place looked like. Yeah. Uh, the, like the painting and all that, uh, again, throws you off because that looks like something straight out of the 60s. And, uh, you know, the aesthetic otherwise is all over the place. Yeah, I did like that for that brief flash, the commercial, like you see a mascot on fire. I don't know why, but I just love that shot. <laughs> it's, just, it's like, you know, it, more more TV shows just need mascots on fire, regardless of the TV show. It, it, it was reminiscent of RoboCop, where they have those <laughs> super strange commercials. And then like sometimes there's like carnage in the app or in the commercial. And it's like. Yeah, so buy this. <laughs> yeah, that's a good call. Um, so so you're right. Like every time that she goes under, like there's these commercials. And I also want to mention the one where before they get to the emulation station where the, the family's talking and you see the wife who looks just run through versus everybody else. She's looking over at a high chair that's empty. And it's like, you know, like it's almost like her life is falling apart, but like everybody else around is ignoring it. Like in a weird way, which I'm again speaks to everything in this episode later. So credit to that. But yeah, so it becomes kind of this loop of Janet, like, you know, going under and then like these commercial breaks and then also her starting to piece together what she believes is happening. Um, but whenever her and Ellen go under, uh, Ellen at first is like, she can't believe, you know, like what happened. But then um, Janet was like, I had a vision of the egg it's ugly. And then Ellen's like, I no, that's not possible. No, this is, it's going to make everything better forever. It can't be ugly. <laughs> like, and it's like, what if like the new, like iPhone was just, you know, just as ugly as that image that we saw of the egg. People would be like, that can't be real. I'll still buy it, but that can't be real. Yeah. It, that looked like a straight up turd. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't look good. No. Um, Meteor shit. <laughs> what, is, what is this meteor shit? Yeah, that's a good call. Um, so yeah, it just, it, then at this point, um, like Ellen is like a little like freaked out and there that's, it's, you can tell that like she wants to get to the, to the fulfillment station, uh, to get her egg. And at one point, like Janet's like, don't leave me. And then she's like, no, 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 no. Um, you know, we have a lot of things in common. We don't, we, she's running out of the room yelling. We do not have the same problems, which, is also kind of funny, but I know it speaks volumes, but I love that Ellen just books it out of the room yelling like, no, 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 no. I, I didn't get abducted. You got abducted. I'm out of here. Yeah. Like her main, her main goal at that moment is I got to get the hell away from her and go get the egg. Go get the egg. Um, And like she, you could tell that now Janet is confused about the situation. She can see that there's that this, probably isn't worth all the hype she's like i saw the egg it's no big deal why does everybody even want the egg like what's the purpose of the egg and ellen's just like i you know whatever i i still want it like i why why not want it you know it's everything we we need the egg so like commercialism has definitely got to ellen yeah and that even bleeds into um what was it uh like 
well, this is before we get to actually, that's called uh, part two real human being. Uh, she's calling uh, her husband as assistant to be like, yeah, Hey, um, you know, like, I think that she's, I think she asked him like where he is. If she talked to him, it's like, he's in a meeting. And then the assistant's like, Oh, are you excited to get your egg? And Janet's like, I don't know. And then there's also this shot of like, when she opens the medicine cabinet, there's like 8,000 pill bottles in it. And I didn't get a chance to read all of it, but a lot of it felt like it was like emotion based. Um, that was the vibe I got. Um, but she, you know, she's talking to the assistant and there's a bit though about like, um, like, why aren't you excited to get the egg? And she's like, I don't know. And the assistant's like, well, it's going to make everything okay. And outside's not okay. Like really, really not okay. And like the assistant's basically kind of like, um, being like, why wouldn't you do this? And then she asked the assistant, assistant, like, why, why do you want it? She's like, because it's there, <laughs> you know, it's like you talk about consumerism that that's a conversation that I, I, I have friends um, and coworkers that the moment, like I keep going back to Apple. I don't know why, but, you know, let's say it is what it is. The moment the new iPhone comes out, they just have to have it regardless if the thing in front of them does the job they need, but they have to have the new one. You know, I, I feel like it's mirroring what, their their advertising is like it's super clean it's uh like the aesthetic of these of their homes are super clean all white um their outfits are weird futuristic looking it, it feels like an apple commercial to me it feels like they're living in it and what they're talking about is the new apple not not the new egg everybody wants the apple that's like that's all i ever hear about is like you're gonna get that new apple phone like dude i'm not apple so sorry. <laughs> yeah <laughs> right um you know so that's you're right like that's what it kind of feels like what's like some of the kind of the more bizarre like the commercials of like you'll see it and you'll want it it'll make everything okay and okay forever or whatever you know so yeah it feels very very much like that uh so then at that point, um, what was it? She tries to call customer service and, uh, you know, like there's like she keeps going through these different menus. She wants to speak to an actual supervisor or a real human. Um, and then, uh, she eventually talks to somebody and like, it's implied that the order's canceled, but they don't say so. Uh, but then she, uh, ends up going into, what was it? Her daughter's room. I guess I am talking about this point by point. So I apologize to everybody. I was like, this is a weird episode to get into. Let me tell you about it minute by minute. Uh, she goes into the, the, her daughter's bedroom and she grabs a baby cam, which looks like, um, how what was it? How from, uh, space odyssey, like, um, 2001, you know, uh, and she brings the baby cam into her room and sets it up just so she could film herself when she wishes. Yeah. And I like that the, uh, labeling on the cam is the exact same font and color and type as the milk that she yeah. was drinking in the kitchen. I'm like, man, like what are they trying to do with this episode? It's really strange to me. It's like one's an electronic that looks like it's from the fifties, you know, just pack like it's a different type of packaging. And then the milk looks like it's from the exact same company. 
Yeah, and then so she's drinking the milk. You could tell that she's having like a bit of an emotional moment because like she was just in her daughter's room, and we'll find out all that later. But then it does like this weird cut to where there's a commercial where she's in it. And because she's cried these blue tears that are on the counter, it's a commercial for paper towels and about like which one's the, you know, the Swiffer picker upper. And, uh, and then, then when she wakes up, um, she finds out she's been abducted again. And that's when we uh, get to part three, which well, let me just take a step back. Her watching her abduction, that sequence of her with her toes dragging across um, the floor is really effective. It's actually really creepy. Uh, some abduction films I've seen are kind of terrifying, like fourth kind. And I, I don't know. It's one of those ones that I'm not putting out of the realm of possibility uh, for real monsters. So it's kind of, it is kind of scary. Yeah. But then, but while that was going on, you heard the theremin music, the woo, like, and it's like, so, you know, that's trying to do like this 50 sci-fi bent. So it's like, it was creepy, but the music kind of betrayed like the real terror of it. Um, that's, that's the way I felt, but it was still a really effective looking shot. Yeah. And at this point, um, there was some suspicions that, um, she was getting abducted. She saw dirt on the, uh, windowsill and a smudge on her shoe. Yeah. 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 So, um, so yeah, that, that, so she kind of starts to think that maybe she was outside when she's getting abducted. And we also see too, that whenever she gets abducted, there's that blue light that happens, which turns out it's a blue light outside that shining through the window that causes that square shape to move. Cause like whatever. So that ties into Peel's intro. Um, so we get to part three, the mad woman in the oxygen tower, which I think is my favorite sentence or like line in a long time. Um, so she calls an astrologer that has 10 different phones. I don't know what the point of that, that was for this whole thing, but it was still kind of funny that all these different cell phones had different labels. So this person is, um, you know, they're running like 10 different scams. Yeah, there was one. There was even one that said like drug running or something like that. I was like, what the hell is this lady getting into, man? Yeah. I know you got to make a dollar wherever you can, but damn girl, like, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, so she calls her astrologer, which is that, um, was Chantal stargazer. Is that her name? Um, yeah, yeah. this, we only see her for a second. She's asking for advice. And, um, and so she reads, uh, you know, she reads like the, the, the star chart or whatever. And was like, don't, you know, like, was it become unbound from gravity, like tether yourself or whatever. And so then, uh, Janet like walks to the shed as she's talking to her on the phone and sees a tether ball, um, like literally a tether. Um, and then she goes into her bedroom and measures, which I mean, that's kind of smart, but also like, uh, not that smart at all where she measures the width of like their little, like, uh, not a, it's like a love seat or something. Like it's a little tiny, like a two seater, like whatever in the bedroom she measures to make sure it's not as wide as the window. And then she ties the tether to that and her. So when she goes to get abducted, um, she'll get pulled out the window, but anchored because of the thing. But it's like, you know, I don't know about you, but I know physics. Sometimes things turn sideways. Yeah, I thought about that as well. But again, <laughs> we have to suspend disbelief for a little bit. <laughs> uh, it's like also like legs break, like things like, you know, what what if her ankle just came off? But anyway, um, so so we got that that bit, uh, which is still funny. But um, that's when we get to this thing's been weird already. Now it just takes the weird and just turns it up to 11 and breaks the knob off. Uh, we find three cannabis in her backyard. 
Well, actually, I should say, she also says the line before she goes and starts tying herself up, says, let's see you beam me up now, Scotty, or whoever you are. It's like, you could have just said Scotty. I think we would have gotten it. Also, you know, this is CBS All Access. You have seven different Star Trek shows in here right now. I think people understand who Scotty is. Just tossing it out there. Um, but yeah, so we get three candidates, uh, mind talking to each other, uh, out in her yard. Yeah. So there's, there's the kind of like the spoiler at this point. If, uh, if you are a diehard twilight zone fan, you know who these aliens are, you know, where you've possibly seen them, but if not season three of the original series, episode 24 to serve man. So that's what we're getting here. Um, it's a, a loose remake, I assume, at this point. Uh, they just wanted to use these catamets. Yeah. So it's so the catamets are a race of superior beings that uh, can't talk because um, they had, um, oh, uh, the actor who played uh, the catamet in the original episode, uh, Jaws. What's his name? Richard, Richard Keel. Um, he was tired the day of filming. So his line delivery wasn't great. So they just kept him mute and they just taught, they just did a voiceover later. So that's why candidates can't talk is because, uh, Richard, Richard Keel was, uh, like just tired from filming Ega in the Hills of California and drove down for the, the for this episode. Uh, but so they are a superior race that are taller. They're, um, you know, they are bald, but with large foreheads, uh, they have superior technology and, and to serve man, the twist was that they were like, we'll bring you all this technology and we'll, we'll make your world safe. You just got to come back with us. And then we find out that their big book, uh, that had all their information that was called to serve man. And it's a cookbook. It's a cookbook and the candidates were eating people. Um, so that's the big thing. So I want to point out that through this season, uh, even in the first episode of the season, which was uh, Meet in the Middle, uh, the main character there was working at a supermarket that uh, was selling. Um, that, that, that supermarket had been used in the previous season, and you saw the Canimates cereal that was being sold. Uh, there was an episode uh, also in the first season called The Wonder Kind, where people at one point were cheering with some beers. It was Canimate beer. I don't know if this is one of those things they kept in their back pocket to kind of tease that like the candidates were coming as opposed to just being a reference. If so, that's a weird like setup for this. Yeah, definitely. Um, I know that they just kind of sneak things into episodes and it's like, Oh fun. You know, like the dingle, uh, Mr. Dingle, the strong moving company. And I look, that's fun stuff. Um, but this one, I think it was just like, I, it was like a blatant remake at this point. Um, I don't know if that was probably the best choice um, because that episode is so near and dear to a lot of people's hearts and uh, top 10 lists. Um, and spoiler. It's not but, good. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's my hot take. Not that great of an episode. It's the endings of humdinger. That's why people remember it. Yeah, definitely. So, but you know, here we go. We got yeah. the, the three that are talking um, via their hive mind yes. in the yard. And they said, well, you know, like the crazy, like the crazy one is stuck in the, the, what did they call it again? The, 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 the mad tower. woman in the auction tower because she got stuck in a tree, which I love their description of trees or oxygen towers. I thought that was great. Yeah, that's pretty sweet. I've never, I, I was, even when I was watching and looking at the title of each chapter, I was like, what the hell is an oxygen tower? Right? Yeah. So credit to Osgood Perkins for kind of setting like making you wonder like what was about to happen next. Right. So 
Um, so then the canon, it's like, well, there's a bit too, where they talked about like bringing her in this ship. And there is this whole like discussion. And like, I did like that though. They were a hive mind that they were trying to talk to each other, but then they would like point at each other and be like, no, you go first, you go first. Uh, cause a hive mind has to work together somehow. Right. But then yeah. there's this notion of like, they're going to take her to eat her and they make the reference to, uh, extra, extra crispy or original recipe. And it's like, well, yeah, they're cannabis. They're going to eat them. But then that's not what she's actually being abducted for. So I don't know what yeah, was going on uh, there. Yeah. Well, they're, they're also in, in trying to figure this out as quickly as I guess their hive mind will let them do. Um, but they're, you know, how do they get her out of the tree? They got to get her out of the tree before she wakes up. Uh, because they're afraid of apparently their minds. If of anything. humans. Like, it seems yeah. like because we change our minds, we're single minded. And the idea that we can change our minds terrifies them. So I cut you off. I apologize because I'm single minded and I cut you off. No, it's all, it's all good. I think that uh, you have explained it way better than I was going to stumble through. So, yeah. And um, of course, you know, she wakes up and she's like, hey. And they just are quiet. They just stand there like, all right, maybe if we don't say anything, yeah, I like, love it. That they, they, they acknowledge her and they kind of look up, but they don't talk. I think again, there's like, it's legitimately played for comedy, right? That's pretty funny. And she's like, I'm up here. I'm up here. And then she's like, I want to talk to your supervisor, which would, which actually made me laugh the first time I saw that. I loved it. I thought it was hilarious because she also has this, this huge grin on her face when she's like, aha, I know how to uh, speak to them now because that's what not only got her the answer that she needed on the phone when she was trying to call, uh, call about the egg, but I feel like it's like a Karen thing. Like that's the Karen drop. <laughs> <laughs> but I did like it. She's like, who, who's in charge here or whatever. And they all responded like their mind talk of like, we don't know. We only work here. And I thought, again, funny line. And then her asking to speak to the supervisor was actually a really funny line too. So I was, I had hope that this episode, like, again, we'll get to the ending and there, there's plenty to unpack here in a second. I was really hoping if you're going to take like the tablecloth and pull out from under me here or pull the rug out from under me, that this was going to lead more into the absurd, which it does. But the, I was hoping for more of the absurd, like, like the comedic part of it. And then it just kind of veers back after this. Yeah. Very weird tone to, especially this, this next, like, I feel like it's like 15 to 20 minutes of this episode. It's actually eight minutes. It's actually the last like 10, 10 to eight minutes of the episode where this happens. I checked because this thing's like 38 minutes long. And when we get to part four here, which is called, uh, like the great glittering cities of your world, from the moment Janet's talking into like this camera and all the candidates are watching her talk about herself. We have eight minutes in the episode. Wow. I didn't realize it was that it feels like there's so much packed in this uh, eight minutes then. But uh, yeah, so she, she's describing who she is, what, what, what's gone on in her life. And we see about, I don't know, maybe 20 of the Ketamins, uh watching a monitor, but she apparently is talking to a female one in person, I believe. Yeah. Like in a separate room. And the, the female is uh, trying to ask or answer her questions, but also trying to tell her to be calm. Like don't make any uh, like uh, I guess violent movements or whatever. Like 
So she has this this notion then that the tenements are actually scared of humans. Yeah. Um. It, it, so like. First, I just want to mention that she's like describing herself and she's like, I forget what she said something about, like she likes horses or she's scared of horses or, you know, the horse killed her family. I forget what was said, but she's like, like tell him all these details about herself. And then at one point she admits that um, she had a stillborn daughter and like, and, and credit, credit to Gretchen Mall, like for as weird as this whole thing is and, and how like um, plot wise there's whiplash, she, I, I love her performance in this episode every step of the way. She leans into what her character needs to do in that scene. And when she talks about the loss of her daughter, um, like she gets a tear in her eye. But then at that point, it's like, then they cut away and you realize that she's talking to this one candidate and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they kind of like, it's almost like they're like, yeah, we know who you are. Like, can we get past this? And I, it felt like at first she was like doing this confessional, and, but then it's like, she also started like giving up information that they didn't ask for. I don't know how you feel about that. It was a weird thing. I, I feel like she was playing towards the sympathetic uh, aspect. Like she wanted some sympathy from him because I mean, they, she's on an alien ship. She doesn't know what the hell these guys have planned for her. Yeah. So I don't know. It was, it was weird, but then you're right. We get this back and forth where we find out the candidates are, bothered by humans because like we have our own mindset and then they, you know, and she's like, well, how do you operate? She's like, we have a hive mind. She's like, that's not democratic. And there's the one little sharp jab of like, well, uh, you know, it looks like when you guys have a democracy, 50% of the people don't like what they have. So how's that worked out? And you're like, point to you candidates, you know? So, um, yeah. So you find out that like, they've been watching our, they've been listening to our radio and TV, specifically the commercials, like over like the past, 50, 60, 70 years. And they realize that like the commercials are the key to humanity because they constantly speak to your fear and to what you want. And that's an interesting concept. I'm not, I don't disagree with it, but it's like considering that we're dealing with the candidates that we saw in the 60s series that uh, promised like all the things that you would hope to have and people didn't question it. Now we get to 2020 where maybe people would like think twice about it. But now if you start using the commercials as the wedge of like creating like this, like fear of like of not having and having to keep up with the Joneses, that feels like an accurate update of the idea of what a cannabis is. It makes a hell of a lot more sense when I watched it the second, uh, mm -hmm. the second time, because it, the, it, they have broken down exactly what I feel like commercialism is because there are, there are products that co companies want you to buy. And the idea is to find why you need it. Is it, they're going to instill fear into you. Is it because if you didn't have it, you're not keeping up with the Joneses and they broke the code. Like they understand now. And as she's explained, explaining this to, uh, to uh janet here it's like she's like well damn like so what's the purpose then why would you guys try to figure that out is it because you want to find a vulnerability in us and why would you want to try to find a vulnerability to invade us yeah and it even speak to like they said about her grief of losing her daughter like was like loud and drew her drew them to her 
And so that's where we get to like the heart of it, where her grief is like the thing that's like, like, like been like this, like just antenna, like broadcasting loud and they're drawn to it. But it almost feels like because of her grief, they came up with the idea of the egg to kind of make everything okay uh, forever. It's not quite clear, but you get the notion that like the two are tied together. I can't spell out exactly how, but then, um, so they admit that the egg is this, this end all be all in the sense of, and we see, and this sequence is great. Again, this whole episode is weird, but I love it whenever Ellen is rushing home with her egg. And, um, by the way, did you notice like within the bag, there's like the little, um, dongle off the side, I think said Whipple on it. So that's another tie into all everything else going on. Um, she runs into her house to open this egg, but then the egg starts to open by itself and she's off camera and you hear this thing just like, you know, destroy her and whatever else is around her. But there's a picture on the wall of her and her family, which we should even mention that, um, Janet had a similar picture in her house. She's looking away in the photo. Um, but Janet looks like all of them are happy. Um, how did you feel about that red mist hitting that picture? I thought it was amazing. I thought it was really cool. It, it's almost like she was vaporized yeah. almost, but like the imagery of it splattering on her, like on her family's photo was just, it was probably the coolest thing out of this entire episode for me, uh, not to be a dick, but I just really <laughs> enjoyed. <laughs> no, I, th- you, you enjoy visual storytelling. Like, you know, like the whole, like show don't tell. I think you can achieve a lot more sometimes out of just uh, simple uh, shots and not so much dialogue. And that was like by not seeing her get murdered by this thing and seeing that blood splatter on the family. It's like it's just it's like a really captivating scene to me. Yeah, me too. And so we find out that the egg is basically there just to, to kill everybody. But it's like but their promise of everything will be OK forever is is true it's just um their definition and our definition of okay are two different things right so uh or maybe it isn't but we find out that like once janet figures out what's going on uh we get her sitting like you know in the middle of this room and she she says the line of like what time is it on earth that's a tie back to the original episode to serve man and then she has to go back and the candidates are like but you know what's going on she's like yeah but i i want I want my egg. And it's like, but you know what it does? She's like, yeah. And again, Gretchen Mall, she is, she, any people could have fumbled this and made it terrible. The grief and the sadness in her face of like, when she says, I know, but I just want to hold it for a second. Cause it's mine. That just, it, it, that just cuts through everything. It was all the weirdness of this episode. That's a very human thing. Cause she lost her child. And even though she knows this is going to be the end of it, She'd rather have the thing that that it's hers and then be happy holding the thing that is hers than to not have anything at all. That's how I kind of took that vibe. Um, and Gretchen Mall sells the hell out of it. Yeah, that, this season has really pulled some amazing talent. And I, I really enjoyed her portrayal of, of this uh, character. And I, I think that this this real real moment like of her owning the fact that she would rather be on earth and accepting her fate that way than just being probably even just like a a guinea pig for whatever tests they're gonna 
do on her. Like that's probably the ultimate fear for her is like, I have no idea what they're going to do. I may as well let this thing kill me. Yeah. Cause I mean, she's been, she's been dead or missing. And, and so to point out like that, that the commercial at the beginning where it shows like the husband talking to the kids and you see the woman distraught with the empty, you know, high chair, we know it's her. We know he lost the kid. And then the commercials of the egg is a small girl running towards this box with the egg in it. Um, so it, it all ties together in that sense. So she comes back to earth. She wakes up on her bed. Um, and then, um, Oh, what's the song that plays? Um, I didn't write it down. So the, it's another great music cue in this. It's another 50 song. I don't know if you have uh, it. Or yeah, not. it's hard. I, I, I know this song. I, I forgot to look it up. I'm sorry. No, for, okay. to, to you and everybody else. But uh, yeah, it's, a, it's basically in the song. It's like, if, without you, I have nothing. Um, I've, and it's a it's a great song. Um, just wish I knew what the hell the name yeah, was. Yeah, I should have wrote down. It's my fault. But like this, the, this whole season's been good with like the music cues, and it also kind of ties back to the first episode of the season with uh, you know, um, uh, meet in the middle where there was like this really on the nose music cue, but it worked really well. So she goes to the fulfillment center, which I want to point out that the name of the place is called You Serve, uh, which you know that that's pointing towards to serve man. Uh, and as she's like walking towards. Uh, her to go get her egg there's something that runs by to her and be like they said something about like oh we're so happy that you're getting the egg she's like nine out of ten of us agree with you or whatever it's like they're speaking like commercial jargon or something i don't even pick it up but in the background you see chaos you hear fire engines you see smoke these eggs are firing off and the world is ending but people are still rushing like mad to go to the fulfillment center and we get janet like kind of seeing everything and she starts to smile and then sprinting towards it and that's She's accepting her fate and is happy to go. And that's when we get Peel at the end, you know, with these UFOs in the background and all this chaos giving his ending. And it's it's a it's a weird ending. It really is, because also when she wakes up um, from from being sent back from the ship, I guess um, you can hear carnage outside. You can hear sirens going and all that stuff. uh, People screaming and out near the fulfillment center, you see just big black clouds of smoke coming from fires or something man it's looks it looks terrible out there and above the fulfillment center is like three spaceships so i mean like all these people are so driven to get to the egg they're not they don't give a crap about the fact that the whole world is ending around them they just are so focused on getting the egg yeah i mean that doesn't relate to anything at all going on right now Nope, not at all. We're done now, everybody. I'm glad this episode was unrealistic and expectations of people wanting the technology and ignoring the world around them. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, no way is this a statement on what's going no, on. No, uh, no, no. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, carry on, people. <laughs> yeah, right. Carry on. And everybody should go get their egg. Uh, so, yeah, that's it. Um, I, You know, I still don't know how I feel about this episode. It's one of those ones where it's like... Um, you can tell that Osgood Perkins, like, again, he had a definitive vision and he put it all up there and I can respect that. Um, I can respect the commitment to the performances. Um, I still don't like, I'm aware of why I use the candidates as kind of like, Oh, they were the commentary on consumerism or whatever before. And it's like, now it is again. And it's like, it's just, it, when I say Wes Anderson, I mean, in the sense of like, he's a person that knows exactly what he wants to do. And, Sometimes you're along for the ride and be like, you know, I kind of get it, but I don't know what he meant by it. 
Yeah, and just the way it was told was so interesting and complex. Uh, It seems that he really didn't want to do like a straightforward linear uh, story. Um, I I also gathered from, at least from our discussion now, that the Kedemets didn't really know how to approach her. It's all of these people, they were sending these uh, commercial signals into their mind to make them want the egg. But her grief was like, it was the barrier between them understanding what she needed to hear and see Mm -hmm. to get to the egg. So they were like, well, what else do we do? Well, maybe we'll do this tie-in because she's crying. It spilled the blue liquid on the counter and give paper towels to her. And now we'll make her happy, right? And then she'll want the egg. So they were, they just didn't know how to fix her i guess so i think that's why she was actually getting abducted too maybe that's it yeah and then once they finally like the way to go was just to be honest and then her to be like i want it like and then suddenly all resistance stopped on both sides so that's a good point i didn't think about that but yeah i don't know like i i will again i'll say this like i am okay for a swing for the fences like if this is you know you want us to see something bring it um and this is this is like it's well told um, it's well done. The performances are great. Uh, there's a lot to process and I don't know if I'll ever kind of get to really what was supposed to be going on. Um, that makes it sound like I'm like, I don't know that I'm stupid. I get the, I get the arc of the plot. It's just that there's the, there's these pieces in there that I still have not figured out why they're there, you know? And, uh, maybe that's a mark of a good story, but right now it kind of annoys me. So that's where I'm at with that. Yeah, I have I have more questions after watching it a second time than I did before. So I'm like, I mean, why was the uh, um, the lady with all the phones? Why why was she in what looked like a normal neighborhood? And yeah, why do we need her as Janet, a character? Well, yeah, I, that's weird that like she was in a completely different style of neighborhood. Like it looked like Janet was a Stepford wife, <laughs> and. And that was the community that she was in. She was in the Stepford community and pristine and beautiful. But when we saw the fortune teller, it it was a completely different area. And she was a real person. She was actually talking to a real person. Yeah. And what was up with what um, Janet, like we didn't even talk about the one neighbor that got the egg early and how she pulled in and was like, oh, it's mine. And then Janet's like, can I see it? And she wa- she went to go walk towards that lady. But then she saw where like where this like the um, driveway ended and the next yard started, and she just stopped immediately. Like, why do we have to see that reaction of her not crossing over to the other person's yard? That's weird, right? Like, it doesn't make any sense. And even Ellen, when Janet grabbed a hold of Ellen's arm to pull her back, she said, "You're touching me." Not like get off of me or why you're like or are you hurting me. She just said, "You're touching me." That was like the strangest reply to somebody who's yanking at your arm and <laughs> like yeah. going nuts in front of you. Yeah. So there's a lot of these weird like bits, right? So I, I don't know. Like I, I appreciate there's a lot to unpack. Um, it's just, again, I will say that there's a, and by similar, I mean, it's more like it leaves you wondering what's going on until the very end. People check out shadow play. It's an amazing episode. And, and I said, I think it's season two. Um, it's really, really, really good. Uh, and it just, you know, if you want that kind of like, I don't know what's going on the entire time, but it, it pays off. Check that one out. 
Uh, and season two of the original series, like I said. But this one, yeah, I, I got nothing else. Like I, um, I mean, I guess we're gonna get to the twist, and then we'll wrap this up and wrap up uh, season two of this series. Unless you got anything else you want to talk about? No, that was pretty much my notes. So. All right. What was the twist here? I don't like. There was a lot of twists. Um, I don't know. Like I, I like I kind of left it blank because I mean that she would be accepting. Like, like she's grieving and that she openly just wants to like hold the thing that's hers, even though it knows that it's going to be the, like the end of her life. Um, I guess I give that a four because she kind of come to grips with it, but that's not something that's made evident. Like it is, it's teased in the beginning, but it's not, it's not forefronted until like the second half of the episode. Yeah. Uh, I'll give the fact that the Ketamints were kind of, shoehorned into this episode i mean it could have been any alien race it could have been yeah um they just they're like let's play let's pay homage to the original series and put them into this episode i give it a two because i kind of could have seen this one coming from a mile away like all right she's getting abducted what are they gonna do they keep on doing these callbacks but we haven't seen a callback yet in this episode it's gonna be the ketamins so and bam it was yeah and then, like with uh, Peel's uh, like intro, where he's like, uh, was well, something about like, um, like she has everything that she wants. And he was like, everything. It's like, okay, okay, calm down there, Mister Peel. Um, but yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. So that's going to do it for our discussion about uh, you might also like. Uh, before we get into how to find us and what we're doing next, I uh, I tasked Terry with because this is only a ten episode season. Um, and I and I believe that of the ten episodes that we have, the ones that we really like, and then, um, I you know we normally would do in a season review of like top and bottom. I'm going to wager a guess right now that our least favorite episode of the season was the one called Eight. Um, just toss that out there. Am I am I wrong, Terry? I I'm gonna I'm gonna agree with that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, so. It's- there was there was elements there that we could have liked, and they they fudged that one. That, yeah. So that's that's disappointing. So yeah, they, they, we, we um, talked about it. Yeah, we we talked about it. Um, they played prevent defense, and then they lost. So that's what happened there with eight. So it could have been great, but it wasn't. So, uh, yeah. So I, I asked him for his top three of the season, um, and you know we don't have to go into great detail. But what what are your what what's your um what's your third? My third place episode is. A small town that was episode eight of this season and it was a wonderful episode um go back and listen to the full conversation about it but to give a brief uh encapsulation it felt like old school twilight zone to me it was a it was a fun romp i really enjoyed it that is a good one so um my number three is among the untrodden just because i um Turned out I ended up liking that episode a lot more than I was expecting. And the twist is a bit of a humdinger at the end when we realize like what's really going on with the girl with the powers. Yeah, that was a really interesting episode. And I'm glad that uh, we had a conversation about it. It made me get more involved uh, in how much I liked about it. Um, and my number two is Meet in the Middle, episode one. This episode floored me i had no idea that it was going to be that strong of an episode going right into the season two or us yeah season two of the new jordan peel that it pulled all the brakes 
Yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot. You're right. Um, I feel like maybe because you just recently watched The Bard at the end of season four that, you know, anything, I'm joking. <laughs> You're like, anything would have been better. No, um, no, this is a good episode. Jimmy Simpson was really, really good. Like for basically being a one man show for the bulk of the episode, it, it's really, really strong. And I liked it. Um, my number two was the who of you, um, just because we need to like celebrate Ethan Embry's ability to act like seven different people. Like it was, it was, it, it felt kind of X-Files, X-Files, X-Files ish. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, but I thought it was a lot of fun and an interesting concept. I like that episode so much. I made it my number one. Oh, snap. <laughs> yeah. So tell me why you love that episode. It- I felt like it was such such an interesting concept that he was able to jump from body to body to body. Um, and like our twist at the end was interesting. And it was just like it felt so break, breakneck. Once he went to the bank, it was like, let's go. Let's let's do this. Like he was he was nonstop, like figuring out what the hell to do without having any game plan whatsoever. So and also very interesting. Ethan Embry playing a small child that's in a police car wanting ice cream. Like that was great too. So we gotta <laughs> call that out where it's like, hey, are you scared? Yeah. Hey, do you like ice cream? Yeah. <laughs> so my number one, and this is uh this I guess this shouldn't surprise you because I had such a strong reaction to it, was last week's episode of Try Try. Like this thing's been dancing around in my head, and every time I come back to like it's just it, it's the character beats. And then also, again, I'm more taken aback in a good way that we looked at the time loop story from the perspective of the one person living the one day. I thought this was a really great episode. Yeah. And it took like the darkest note from, uh, you know, Groundhog's Day storyline and made you kind of scared to be in that sequence. Like to be, uh, what was our what was our main character? Uh, Claudia, Claudia, to be yeah. a Claudia type character where somebody is so infatuated with you that they watch every one of your movements and like have you down in a notebook. Basically, it's frightening and a a realistic standpoint as well. Yeah. So there you go. So it looks. I think it's great that we um, had like one in common, but like for ten episodes, we fell on different spots. That's that's a good sign that the season was pretty consistent. Um, you know, there's a couple here that kind of dropped and fell on their keys a little bit, but my goodness, this was a lot of fun and I'm glad that we got to cover it. So good on you guys. And you, the CBS all access renew it for a third season for the love of God. Hell yeah, man. And honestly, uh, without having commercials so much and that this was fun, this was, it was good to see it in this kind of format and, uh, the floating format where it, you know, you could have a half an hour episode one week and have a 50 minute episode the next week. I, I think that they they need to keep this kind of format going. It's I think it works best for this kind of storytelling. Yeah. So, all right, that's going to do it for our talk about uh, season two of the current run of the Twilight Zone. But before we get to season five of the original series and the final season of the original series. So that's a little bittersweet. Um, we're going to uh, talk about something else, but I guess I should also talk about how people can find us for I tease the next thing we're doing. Uh, you guys can reach us on our Facebook page. It's uh, strange highways. Uh, you guys can email us directly at strange highways, uh, podcast at gmail.com, wherever you find your podcast rate and review us. It'd be greatly appreciated. I know that there's a lot of different outlets that, um, you know, that 
you can find us. So please, uh, again, if you like the show and uh, you know people that would like this, uh, recommend it. And again, like I keep saying, the more the merrier. Yeah, tell two friends so they can tell two friends so they can tell two friends. Yeah, so think about uh, it. You, you could be <laughs> you could be your own boss of telling people about this podcast and build a pyramid shape of people below you that recommend the podcast. And then you'll get podcast bucks that could be used to buy further episodes of the show. Yeah, there you go. That, that, that's, a, that's an idea. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So what we're going to do, uh, so we're taking a week off because uh, like, again, this has been a fun sprint, but it'd be nice to take a minute off. Um, but then when we come back, um, we're going to be talking about uh, an anthology film uh, called Campfire Tales from 1997 that has such people as James Marsden, a.k.a. the guy that was in the Sonic movie. He was also Cyclops. Amy Smart, um, Christine Taylor, wife of Ben Stiller. Uh, who else we got here? Ron Livingston, Jacinda Barrett, if people remember who she is. She was in the real world. Um, and then we get... Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of uh, people in here to talk about. And, and Terry, you've seen this film. I have not. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, it's good anthology stuff, man. Uh, this is my bread and butter. Uh, 90s. I was watching Tales from the Crypt a lot. Uh, I was uh, Creep Show is one of my favorite favorite horror films of all time. If you like anthology and 90s, like fun horror films, like th- this is your you need to get in this movie. This is awesome, and it's rated R, so. The heyday. <laughs> Perfect. I want some R-rated stuff to talk about. No. Uh, so uh, we were talking about that. I just want to give a shout out to our friend Rich, uh, who uh, found found a, the way for us to watch this film because we'll talk about availability. I feel bad where it's like, everybody, we're going to talk about this film. Good luck finding it. Um, but, you know, Rich was able to, to get us a copy, so I appreciate it. I want to shout out. He has just started a new podcast that people should uh, listen to called At the Devil's Ball. They have five episodes up right now. They have covered um, here. This has been, you'll appreciate the order of things here. Uh, the first episode was uh, Freddy's dead. The final nightmare. A nightmare on Elm street five, the dream child. Uh, episode three was a nightmare on Elm street two. So, and then episode four was nightmare, nightmare on Elm street, the remake. So a little, a little weird, but just roll with it. And then their most recent episode, they've looked at, um, the Stephen King uh, miniseries, the ABC miniseries of The Shining. So check it out if you guys want more horror and good conversation. Rich is a good dude. I've I've listened to the first episode. I've been a bum and not gotten to the rest yet, but I look forward to it. Yeah, I uh, I, I feel bad, Rich. I haven't gotten to your episodes yet. Uh, I, I I'm gonna be there, and I'm I got time now. I got a week off, so I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna... Yeah, you're like, oh, crazy. I guess I can't watch Twilight Zone. I guess uh, I'll listen to this podcast. So, yeah, check it out. Um, see you guys in two weeks. We'll talk about Campfire Tales. And everybody, thank you. This has been fun. This has been a fun uh, detour. And, yeah, we'll, we'll get to season five soon. But I think we're going to do some other stuff first because, um, you know, like, why not? We're all, also, we're getting to September here and October's around the corner. So we'll see what happens next. So, uh, yeah, that's going to do it for us this week. Have a good week. Have a safe week. And um, if you feel like you're getting wished away, um, maybe tie yourself to something heavier than a simple chair. Don't let, get, don't let yourself get eaten.
I love us. I also love us. That is not... We love us. Yes, that really is best. 